Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 232 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 6th, 2012, otherwise known as the beginning of Unfinished Business Day. Yes, the first day of USC Fall Camp, where Matt Barkley and the Trojans will be going at it. we got an exciting show for you on the podcast, giving you a preview of what to expect coming up at USC Fall Camp 2012. we got a bunch of questions to get to. We love to hear from you. Email us your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Call us 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Or click on the left side of peristylepodcast.com to leave us a voice message. We'll play your voice message on the air. As long as you keep it 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so. We don't want these two-minute voicemails going on and on and on. We won't have the time to play those. One guy who doesn't go on and on and on. Well, maybe he does a little sometimes. But that's Coach Harvey Hyde. He has so much knowledge to drop on us. We let him talk as long as he wants. Coach, how you doing, sir? What's going on? Ryan, thank you very much for joining me. I, sometimes I do talk too much. Uh, I just get fired up and want to complete the question, and I ramble into other questions and there are other things I want to talk about. But I'll try to keep right on the topic today. Ah, you know, it's no big deal. We've we got a lot of fun things to talk about. We love hearing from you. Uh, and if you need tickets, we got the football season coming up, of course. If you need tickets for anything – Please check out setickets.com, 1-800-888-7287 if you need to call them. Or you just go to setickets.com, and they will hook you up. Lots of exciting USC football games at home this year, Coach Harvey Hyde. you got Oregon at home, Notre Dame at home. Who knows, maybe there's a Pac-12 championship game at home. Lots of good, lots of good football for the fans to enjoy coming up over the next several months. It certainly is going to be, and it's going to be challenging, too, on the road for the Trojans this year, I'll tell you. At Stanford, at Washington, at Utah, I'll tell you, those are going to be tough, tough football games. Certainly will. That third game of the year at Stanford. The Utah one, I think some people forget about quite a bit, but that's obviously going to be a tough game. And just from listening to Pac-12 Media Day, I think you get the feeling that Whittingham has those guys fired up, and uh, it's not going to be an easy task going into Utah, playing on a Thursday night, I believe, right, in Utah? Yes, Thursday night, uh, kickoff at 6. And I'll tell you, just remember the way the game ended last year, if you remember. Khalil blocked that field goal, uh, and uh, and FC won the game. I'll tell you, it was a tight game, and they're going to be really good. And they got a lot of confidence now. They've been through their first year in the Pac-12, and uh, they're looking forward. They're very disappointed on the season they had last year. They were 8-5, and I believe, but they weren't happy at all at that. And they're used to winning up there, so... They're going to be a force, and they're in the Southern Division, and uh, I think they're going to give SC a real run for it. In fact, I picked them to finish uh, second in that division. Yeah, I think a lot of people did, Coach. Uh, well, let's jump in to some of these questions, and one of the big ones, the Silas Red <laughs> commitment transfer. He's reportedly on campus. We're going to see him tonight for the first time. We're in Cardinal and Gold at USC football practice. Silas Red, the former Penn State Running back now, USC, tailback at tailback U. Terrian had a question for you, Coach. He said, since Silas Red is an experienced running back in a pro-style offense, 
Besides nomenclature and terms, what are the one or two major things that he must learn and adapt to? And do you think that there's enough time in camp for him to win at least the number two running back position? Well, you know, they certainly uh, are going to give him that opportunity. You, would, you wouldn't bring him unless you planned on playing him. So he's going to get a lot of help, a lot of extra tutoring, a lot of extra film work. Uh, he's going to have a lot of special individual help with uh, Palomalo as far as working with him on what his rules, regulations are. And they're not going to expect him to gain everything in one day or two or a week. Uh, they will put him in certain situations early in the season where they know he knows the assignment. They won't try to complicate it. And uh, as the season goes along, this is an experienced football player. It won't take him long to grasp what he has to do. You know, sometimes you talk about, well, they got to learn the system. Well, in his situation, he's got to learn the system. So he's going to be given the necessary tutoring to learn the system. Otherwise, why bring him? He's there for a purpose. He's got to play. Your uh, DJ Morgan will be well. DJ Morgan will play too. I think DJ's a tremendous threat. He's a different type of threat than McNeil or uh, Red, but uh, I think that uh, Red will play. He'll get a lot of turns, and uh, otherwise, why bring him? You have to get him in the game. You can't waste a year, because you've got two young freshman kids uh, waiting that are verbal commits. He'll be coming in, and uh, they're watching this process. A lot of them feel, well, they really don't care. They've been talked to about this, whether he goes out in one year or stays. But uh, that's the type of player USC is attracting now. They're coming to USC because of the talent that's at USC. And remember, you get better every single day in practice when you go against great players. You don't get better when you just play against great players on Saturday. And this is why these players that come here now are a different breed, a different type of cat. They look forward to playing against the best and being around the best and practicing against the best. And, and, and I think that's why Red came to USC, too to challenge himself and make himself a better football player. Hey, Coach, when uh, people ask me about this on the radio or whenever on the message boards, and one of the concerns I always bring up, and I wanted to get your thoughts, is I, I think that he's run plays that are very similar. I mean, there's similar kind of offenses. You know, you run your ISOs, your powers, or whatever. I mean, I think as far as running the plays like, uh, you know, they said in the question, nomenclature, things like that, how you call it. But some of it has to be the concern is when he's in the game and he's not getting the football and you have to pick up a blitz or pass protections, things like that. How much of a concern is it for Lane Kiffin when maybe he knows what he's doing when he's running the ball, but on those off plays, does he have confidence to have him in the game for those for those kind of plays? Well, he's going to have to be because otherwise you form tendencies, which means when McNeil's in the name or Benuko's in the game or somebody's in the game, then all of a sudden you say, well, it's going to be a pass play. So he's going to have to learn pass protection. You have to be able to do both to be able to become a great football player. And I think this is one reason he's at SC is to learn how to do these type of techniques and become a better football player. And he'll learn it. Uh, I know if I was coaching him, I would teach him how to do it because it's important that he's in the game and using the correct techniques and picking up the correct uh, blitz guy. Because if he, one guy misses, you have a zero play. And you have a chance of Barkley getting hurt and all of the above. So, yes, it's, it's not going to be easy, but he will pick it up. He's a junior. He's an experienced player. He'll get extra help. In fact, you'll see the players helping him. He'll stand in the huddle when he's not running turns, and he'll ask questions back and forth all the time. 
this is going to be a team effort. They know that he came there to help them win. So they'll all assist him in becoming a great football player. Now, where the line has to become accustomed to read is the timing of his moves and how long they sustain their blocks and if he cuts back, so that the timing between Barkley and Red and the offensive line all comes together. That came together at the end of the year with Curtis McNeil, but they started running the football better because of the number of attempts that Curtis McNeil got. They weren't rotating backs, and it became a rhythm. You have to get into a rhythm with the running game, then the bootleg and the play-action passes and all of those type of uh, other uh, uh, systems uh, as far as passing game comes off the play-action pass because you can run the football. So it'll all, it'll all happen. If he's the football player he's supposed to be, he'll be on the football field play. Okay, Coach, thanks for that. Uh, we, I don't know if you remember, we had a question on uh, someone watched the UCLA game last year and uh, Tevin McDonald touched the ball on a kickoff and it went in the end zone. They were still able to down it. So we had Kyle write in about it. He said, the NCAA rule states, however, merely touching or deflecting the kick or being struck by it does not destroy the impetus of the kick, rule 851-A. So he interprets that to mean that someone has to kick or purposely push the ball into the end zone uh, in order to change that. So the call on the field was indeed correct per my interpretation. I looked at, I looked for any situations explicitly stating my interpretation but wasn't able to find one or for against. So if you didn't try to, it sounds like if you didn't, if you just touched it on the way in, that's still okay. Um, so just to clarify for people, that's what we, we basically thought was the deal. Uh, but if you just touch a ball going in the end zone, if, as opposed to catching it and running back into the end zone where that would be, that would be a safety situation. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to thank him for sending that in because I remember last week I couldn't answer it. All I said was that if it was in my favor as a coach, I'd have said nice call. And if it wasn't, I'd have argued with it. So <laughs> that's what happens when the coaches don't know what's going on. Have you noticed in the Pac-12 the number of official changes that they've had over the past two years, Ryan? Yeah, there's. A, I think there was at least a handful this time. There's a whole bunch the first year, and uh, there, was a, there was a bunch this time as well. There certainly was. I think there were eight more this year that were changed, and I believe part of that was the crew of the Stanford game. Remember uh, at the end of the game there on that play with the timeout that Lane Kiffin had called, and uh, uh, I think Woods ran out of bounds. I think that official, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't want to say that, but I understand a couple of of the uh, team on that game, too, were let go. Yeah, I haven't got all the specifics on that. We put some stuff in the war room. Uh, Dan Weber was digging up some of that information. That I, do you like this, Coach? I mean, I, I think it's a good thing where the, the officials of the Pac-12 were, I mean, I think ranked among the worst in the country. You have to do what you can to clean house. I don't know if they needed to, to blow everyone out that first year, but I like that they blew some people out. They're taken back, looking at the film, blowing more people out. I think it lets the officials know at least – Hey, if you're not doing your job, you're going to be gone. So you better, uh, you know, shape up or ship out. Well, I tell you what it does. Uh, Tony Kareni is an outstanding uh, coordinator now. The Pac-12. He's worked college football for years. He works the NFL games on Sunday. He's a great guy. And I tell you one thing: you have to do. You have to eliminate the good old boy system. Not that I don't like being a part of that in some places. I think it really can help you. But you, there's a time when you got to make a change when you just can't run as fast, just can't get out of the way, and sometimes it slows you down and the game down and you miss a lot of calls. So 
there's that day that you have to step down, or and I hate to say uh, age is part of it sometimes, but uh, necessary changes happen. And when you come in as a new coordinator, you look at everything. When you come in as a new football coach, you don't always keep all the assistant coaches that were there. And when Tony got the job as coordinator of the Pac-12 officials, he was evaluating every single person, and he's doing what he thinks is best to raise the level of competition because every call means so much now in college football. One call that's not correct, that's not reviewable, and that could cost you a football game or a coach's job or a bowl appearance or a national championship. So it's really important today that the importance of officiating is excellent. I agree with you, Coach. Uh, Let's move on to defensive line talk. And this is from JJB talking about replacing Devon Kennard because of the injury. A lot of the articles that he read mentioned guys like Leonard Williams, Morgan Breslin, uh, Greg Towson Jr., uh, Burks, Devontae Wilson as a replacement, but not a lot of people have mentioned Kevin Green. Has he fallen through the cracks in this talk about replacing Devon Kennard? I agree with that. I've mentioned a couple of times Kevin Green is poss- a possible replacement or at least a guy that's in there getting some rotations. It's time for Kevin, Kevin to step up. Uh, just like I said earlier, time for uh, Wes Horton. And it's time also for uh, when Kennard was healthy to step up and give SC the type of play that they've been uh, pubbed for. Well, there's going to be, have to be some other players that step up now, and you mentioned their names that, that fill that hole. If a freshman comes in and if it's Leonard Williams, he's going to play. So if I'm a returning player, I'm going to say, I'll be damned if I'm going to let a freshman come in and beat me out and he didn't even go through spring practice. He didn't go through our spring weight program. He didn't do all the things that we've had to do the last three or four years. So I would think that would elevate their play, uh, someone who has been a part of the Trojan team, to now I've got a chance. Now it's time for me to – uh, be on the field, be in the starting lineup. And one of those guys has got to do that. Craig, Greg Townsend is a great football player, along with some of the others you mentioned. You don't go out and bring in a J.C. football player like Morgan. unless you think Morgan can play. So Morgan's got to contribute, whether it's a passing down they put him in because he's a good power rusher and flies on pass rush. So uh, I just say someone's got to step up. Someone's got to fill that void. And someone will do that. I'm sure Coach Orgeron will get somebody to play at the level, maybe not Kennard's level, but close to it. They've got to. Coach, we talked about the, the Silas Red running back situation, a little bit on the defensive line. Um, the defensive ends, I, I don't think the, the concern is as big as that defensive tackle. George Uko's really got to have a huge year. But, you know, there's some, like you just mentioned with the defensive ends, there's some younger defensive linemen around them that we have to see. Is that a real concern for you, how USC plays at defensive tackle this year with the kind of numbers they have? Yes, it is. It, it really is because of the speed-up offenses. The Pac-12 currently right now, uh, almost every single team runs this quick huddle and run play. They don't even huddle like Oregon now. Arizona does it. Arizona State does it. Washington's doing it. Washington State's doing it. UCLA's doing it, just to mention a few. So, you know, depth is really important because if you don't stop them in the first couple of sets of downs, you get fatigued and you've got to rotate your players. And that's one thing that concerns me as far as being able to have the depth where you can put somebody in or give your players a, 
a break if, if you're not slowing down people and you're on the field all, uh, all the time. Especially if you stop them and you come back and you happen to score on a big play, again, there's your defense back on the field. I mean, it's a positive thing that you scored, but it really you want to take some time scoring because you want your players to get an extra, you know, an extra blow if you can, a rest. So, yes, that's a real concern of me because of the conference and because of the speed-up offenses and the possibility of not being able to stop them immediately and having to play a lot of downs. So they are going to be have to, are going to have to bring some of the younger players along that maybe aren't as good, but they've got to have their role as far as in a rotation. The uh, I know you're not a big fan of rotating on the offensive line. There's four returning starters coming back. Uh, I think that you know, you can have a pretty solid view of what you're going to see. Uh, they don't change that up much. Are you a fan of the? The try to do an eight-man rotation on the defensive line. You know, we see teams like Oregon bringing like 25 guys in on defense. Are you a fan of that, or do you think the starters should go until they need a blow? On defense or offense? On, on defense, yeah. I mean, we we know I know your stance on the offensive side and, and the offensive line. People were talking about, oh, maybe you mix guys around. I do remember you saying, no, I want to see those same five offensive linemen in there, and that makes sense. What about on the defensive side? Do you feel the same way, or do you like the the fact that they could do a big rotation? Well, I like the rotation if you don't drop off too much in your personnel. You've got to have your players on the field and you've got to win. Uh, if you have the same quality of player, yeah, you can rotate. If you don't rotate all of your number ones at the same time and you have your number ones out there and maybe you have a couple of number twos and mix them in, that's okay. But if you don't have the, the depth, then you can't do mass rotation because it just doesn't work. They go in there, and they're not as going to be as good if you're a number two playing against a number one. In most cases, you hope you are, to be able to slow down or stop uh, the other unit. You've got to respect your opponent. But, uh, yes, I'm in favor of rotation on defense a lot. I really am. But today these kids are different types of quality of kids. They're in great shape. They work out year-round. Uh, it's a different mode. I mean, the, the the athletic ability and the condition of these kids are different. So at SC, they can rotate in the secondary. They can rotate at linebacker. But in the defense, they can rotate at defensive end, I believe. But at defensive tackle, they're going to have to find somebody or rotate Uko with Woods and, and Tavos uh, somewhere where, where it matches up where they don't drop off much. The, uh, there's some other interesting storylines from fall camp as well, and we'll, we'll talk with Dan Weber about some of these too. Um, but the, the, I wanted to get your thoughts maybe on the backup quarterback spot. Obviously, Matt Barkley is the starter. He's a favorite to win the Heisman and all of that. Do you think that Lane Kiffin needs to say this guy's number two, knowing that they'll have a leg up next year when there's going to be a position battle for you know who's going to take over and, and continue the legacy of the USC quarterback after Matt Barkley? Now, you're asking me what I think and what I would do. I'm not second-guessing Lane Kiffin, okay? Now, I would. I would name a backup quarterback because you can't give equal reps continuously to three guys during the week. You can't do that. You've got to have somebody ready that's used to throwing the ball, running the, uh, with the, the number one offense or number two offense, getting reps, knowing the game plan, and then not all of a sudden during the game saying, oh, max down. Uh, Whitt, come here. You're going in. No. 
the kids got to be mentally prepared that if something happens to Barkley, I'm the guy. When he gets taped, he knows he's the guy. When he's sitting in film meetings, he knows he's the guy. Now it's difficult on your three and four, especially if they're very close in competition. But I believe you have to make a mistake, uh, make a decision. Why? Because that kid has to get mentally prepared all week, knowing that he is the guy if something happens and has the confidence and the team has the confidence that if that should happen, that this kid can come in and get it done. So if it's me, I name a number two. Now, you know, maybe things will change during the season. But I want the guy to know and be prepared mentally the entire week, game day, in meetings, with the team, the whole thing, that he's the guy. And then uh, last thing before we let you go, Coach, any other storylines that you find interesting? Something that I know when you get out there to watch a team, you like to do it on your little island. You go alone and just kind of take your notes and, and suck it all in. What are some of the things when you're up there sitting in the Coliseum stairs that you're looking at? What are you going to be looking for this fall? Well, you know, I'm going to be looking to see how balanced they are on offense and defense. And what I mean by that is I want to see at the beginning of the year how much in their scrimmages, when I go to their scrimmages, I, I like going to individual practices and so on, but I like when they compete against each other, when it means something more on a Saturday or a Friday when they practice in the Coliseum. I want to see just how much they emphasize the run versus the pass and how they spread the love as far as if they get everyone involved in the offense and defense with the schemes that they're doing. Like, they finished the season last year the way I expect them to start the season this year. Uh, you've heard me say this a million times. They're a great football team at the end of the year. They were an average football team at the beginning of the year because it took them a period of time to have an identity. They've got to have that identity starting immediately the same type of intensity the same type of play calling the same type of usage of all of your excellent players you have receivers tight ends running backs whatever they may be you can't rely on one person you've got to share it all stay balanced and be able to get better weekly and i think this is the number one thing i'm looking at the play calling what they have coming off the series that they decide to run and to keep the defensive honest all right coach well I'm looking forward to seeing out there at fall practice. I'm looking forward to getting out there myself and seeing some guys and pads hitting, checking things out, and it should be a lot of fun this fall getting ready for football season 2012. Can't wait for it to get here. Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll see you out of practice, and then we'll talk to you again on the podcast next week. And thank you very much, Ryan, and thank all of you out there for sending in the questions. I enjoy it, and looking forward to this season. All right, Coach, thanks again. Everyone else, hey, back in 30 seconds, we got to bring on USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Webber. He'll answer more of your questions and talk more about USC Fall Camp 2012. Back in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, good good first day here. We'll see how this goes. Uh, I'm not sure if, if USC's ever had a first practice this late in the day, but uh, <clears throat> this will be interesting. Yeah, 7.30 tonight, USC football fall camp officially starts. The players reported on Sunday, like we said. Practice starts this evening, 7.30. First few days, they will go without pads, and then they'll start bringing in the pads. They'll do some two-a-days, kind of typical stuff. The, the practice times are all over the place. USC fall camp, during the season, they will practice in the mornings, but for fall camp, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. It depends. you got to look at the schedule every day because it seems to be different. Um, yeah, what... I, think, I think I counted 11 different starting times. So uh, it's kind of like the uh, uh, game times. I mean, you know, there are – there aren't a whole lot of similarities, uh, you know, one after the other. Uh, it's pretty much uh, obviously they've they've got a pattern here in terms of uh, what else they're doing, and uh, they're fitting it in with uh, you know the rest of the day and and what else they're you know having them do and how they're having them prepare for practice. And I will say this: they get a lot done once they hit the field because they uh, they they do a lot of pre-practice stuff, I think, more so than than almost anybody we've seen. Oh, got a little doggy right. action going in the background. There's our doggies <laughs> and the, the people next door, but there's out and ours, uh, ours have to agree. So. <laughs> well, we're going to talk- begin to tell you their names. They have nothing to do with USC football. I have two dogs and their names are Pete and Kiffa, K-I-F-F-A. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with Pete Carroll or Lane Kiffin, but no one would ever believe me. <laughs> That's awesome. The name Kiffa is a Finnish name. Uh, honestly, I, after that happened, you know, I wasn't covering USC football when we got them, and uh, it was the year that I wasn't. And it's just you, it's too unbelievable to people that I would have two dogs named <laughs> Pete and Kiffa. That is pretty funny. I think uh, USC fans will still have a little twinkle in their, in their eye for that one. Uh, well, we want to talk about – we're going to talk about fall camp, but we do have some questions pertaining to fall camp, so I thought we'd get to those first, and then we'll talk about some other of the big storylines because a lot of the questions hit on some of the big ones. The biggest one, obviously, Silas Red. Uh, this is from Ryan, who no, – I like your name, Ryan. He's a junior at USC. Dan, what are the chances that Red becomes our number one running back midseason? Well, you know, I'm not so sure that they're looking to do that. I think they're looking – uh, to basically have uh, a, a, a dual threat at the very least. Uh, and uh, I know whenever Lane would talk about this over the last couple of years, he just so much wanted the idea of being able to do some of the things they were able to do with two backs. And obviously when you had Reggie and, and Lendale, uh, there were some, you know, unbelievable stuff you could do because, you know, Lendell was on the top end of a 230-pound power guy with finesse, and Reggie was, you know, the ultimate speed guy who could uh, line up in a lot of different places. But uh, I don't think they want a single back. I think they, they really, really want the ability to use multiple backs and obviously multiple formations. And uh, uh, I, I think they'd really like the ability – to get leads and then pound people and really pound them. And you saw a little bit of that 
uh, at the uh, at Notre Dame when uh, Curtis did that to Notre Dame at the end. But you know, when you got a guy who's five seven and one ninety two, as strong as he is, is uh, he, he's just not to, you're not necessarily wanting to do that game after game after game with say Curtis McNeil. But when you've got two guys and when you've got a Silas Red, I uh, so I don't think that's the direction they're going. I, I think they really, really want to play uh, two guys who complement one another and then be able to use uh, a DJ Morgan. I mean, if he's healthy, uh, we've seen things from DJ with that burst that he's got where he's going to surprise people. I mean, really surprise people. Uh, and so uh, I don't see no, I don't see him going to one back now. Okay, and then kind of a follow-up. It makes sense, Dan. Kind of a follow-up to that. What leading up to the Silas Red decision, we were covering this a lot. Here's a question uh, that we can. I think we, we're probably well equipped uh, to answer. Here you go. Hi, this is for Harvey or for Dan. Uh, this is Mickey Shapiro. Um, report in the um, on some of the websites Sunday indicated that SC may have inadvertently violated another recruiting violation by Max Winnick speaking to Silas Red. Uh, do you fellows have any information on that subject? And more importantly, if that did occur, uh, what would be the probable result of that? Hopefully nothing too dramatic. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a secondary violation at the most. And I'm not even sure uh, uh, if it's a secondary violation. A secondary violation essentially says, uh, the NCA says, uh, just tell us. And uh, that's all, uh, essentially, uh, that that would be. Uh, just because of the prior uh, relationship uh, with, uh, with Max and, uh, and Silas, and the fact that uh, it's more, uh, say, clear-cut, if you're, t- if you're saying to your uh, football players, you can't talk about high school players that were recruiting. But if someone says... Uh, you can't talk about possible transfers. Basically, every other Division One player, every other college football player, technically is a potential transfer. It can all transfer at some time. Would that mean players at USC aren't allowed to talk about any player on any other team because that guy might decide tomorrow he wants to transfer? I mean... Did Silas Red move into a different category? We're not absolutely certain. That may be a question we will ask tonight at the uh, uh, compliance media seminar. Uh, that when does, you know, you know, for example, the kids in high school and they're recruiting him, he is a prospect. He is covered as to, you know, you're not technically, uh, players are not technically supposed to, you know, comment publicly about players that their school is recruiting. But did Silas Red? You know, Silas Red could have uh, uh, at any time said, you know, I'm going to stay at Penn State. Then does what Max Winnick said not become anything uh, because he's not covered in, in some way? So I think it, that's like a, a teeniest of a secondary violation that's in a gray area that I don't think has been completely clearly defined yet would be my take. And just to clarify uh... – I was the person that talked to Max Wittick about that. We didn't know. Uh, we knew about the recruiting part as far as talking about high school players. We didn't really – well, I did, at least I didn't realize it. I don't know if you did, Dan, that you couldn't have asked them about 
yeah, college I mean, we were. I was think I was at the uh, uh, getting ready for media day at uh, Universal, and my first reaction is, "Wow, that's a great story." Uh, the connection, the Connecticut connection, and the uh, you know Pop Warner football and all of that, and thinking, "Wow, that's a great story. What a good storyline that is." The last thing in the world you're thinking of is that this kid, you know, he's had two years in college, and you're thinking, not thinking of him at all as a potential, um, as a potential recruit at, at that point. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't think anybody was thinking that thought. Uh, I think what made it a little bit worse was when USC sent out a note and said uh, that it, he, it did qualify as a, uh, as a potential recruit to transfer and then one of the media beat people on USC beat did not get the message and went back two days later and did the same story that Ryan did with more quotes from Max. So obviously maybe Max hadn't gotten the word yet and that media person hadn't gotten the word. So it, it, it probably would have almost not been noticed uh, had, it, uh, had it stopped after – uh, everybody was told, you know, because we were talking about it at practice, I guess, on Friday, uh, the fact that uh, probably better not talk to any of the players about any about any uh, Silas Red stuff. And uh, then that story uh, hit the paper, and uh, that probably made it a little more of an issue than it, than it would have been. Yeah, with the second one there. And, and Martin exactly. in Ontario has another kind of follow-up to that. He's like, with Max Wittick getting in contact with Silas Red, and Max not being the official starter, could he be suspended from, from practices? Uh, yeah, no, he's not going to be suspended for, like, like Dan said, be a secondary violation. The biggest thing, they've, they've had a relationship that, since they were kids. It's not a violation for those two to speak. Uh, it was more about addressing it to the media, is from what my understanding of everything is, Dan. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can't tell somebody that, you know, it's like uh, – uh, you know, uh, college coaches recruiting their own sons that were always a silly thing, you know, about, well, are you allowed to go watch them practice when there's no contact? Are you allowed to go, you know, to their games and all that? And the NCAA always finds itself in a rather peculiar position about the way some of their rules uh, have to be enforced. And they really are, are not caught up yet with the whole world of social media and prior you know, relationships and all of that, it's a, you know, and you can text message them and uh, if they're a basketball recruit, but you can't text message them if, if they're a football recruit and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is a world of, of goofiness out there in terms of, of all of this, and uh, it probably is no surprise that USC is in, in, <laughs> in the middle of it. That's probably a good thing in a lot of ways, but uh, it's... Uh, it's it's not easy for the coaches to keep up with, and it's absolutely uh, maybe that's why you know we're going to have a have a seminar today for the media with compliance. Uh, it'll be uh, you know I'm sure there'll be some interesting questions that maybe nobody's thought of yet because so many things are happening that uh, I don't think you just can't put enough things in that NCA rule book, <laughs> and that's part of the problem. They think they can. And they really can't. I mean, the world's changing faster than the NCA can uh, put rules in the rule book. I agree, Dan. Uh, well, let's move on to the secondary. Matt had a question. He said, I know it's pre-camp, 
but who do you think will be the second team safeties? He mentions Demetrius Wright, Josh Shaw, or Gerald Bowman. I didn't have some nice things to say. He did not have nice things to say about Drew McAllister, who uh, he said gave up. Uh, he got beat too, beat too many times, so he didn't put him in the mix. Uh, but he, do you think any of those guys could beat out Starling for the starting spot? And that's from Matt. You know, I don't think we know. I don't think Lane knows. I think that was one of the last things uh, I, in his sit-down in the summer with Lane, and he, he kept saying, I can't wait to see these guys. He said, that's going to be really interesting to see uh, what what we get out of people we haven't seen yet, like uh, Shaw and, and Gerald Bowman. Uh, boy, it's easy to like them in so many ways, uh, physically, uh, their personality, the kind of, you know, just the kind of kids they are. Uh, there's nothing not to like, uh, you know, about those guys. Demetrius Wright's another one who's done everything he's ever been asked. Uh, he was one of the guys who stayed with USC uh, originally when the, you know, sanctions came down and, uh, you know, has really, really worked hard, does a great job on um, on uh, special teams. He's tough kid, strong, you know. They, there are a lot of, a lot of kids, and, and, and I would not uh, – uh, you know, jump on Drew McAllister. He, he's a leader. He's smart. Uh, I guarantee you, if somebody's going to throw the ball up over the top, uh, uh, and you say, "Gee, who, which one of those USC kids came down with that ball?" There are a lot of chances it might be Drew. Uh, uh, he probably is is as much of a anticipator ball hawk back there as anybody USC. You know, hey, has any played? Um, Played through a couple of hip surgeries. Uh, just a, a really, really um, positive senior leader addition, you know, to this this team. And uh, I would be probably a little hesitant to draw too many conclusions from maybe watching some video or rewatching a game or whatever and making an absolute uh, decision on who screwed up a play or whatever because you really – you really don't know what the defense was called and, and who was supposed to do what. And uh, so I might be a, a little more uh, charitable to, uh, to the USC players on, uh, on uh, defensive coverage situations. Yeah, don't count out Drew McAllister. He always seems to be making plays. He was a little banged up last year, so I, I expect him to be back uh, doing well this year. So we'll watch, we'll watch him all in fall camp, and we'll report back next week on the podcast of what we saw. Um, here is a question. Uh, on some of the guys that could potentially be on the defensive line. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. i got a question for Dan Weber. Wanted to know what's the status for Christian Hayward, um, Cody Temple, uh, Cody Temple, and um, Christian Thomas for uh, fall camp. You know, since they've been injured for all spring, you know, when uh, they're ready to go. Says Falkheim starts tonight. Thank you very much, and fight on. Uh, the out will be uh, in two of those three. We will be asking the same question now. Uh, Christian Hayward has been out there uh, all summer. He's uh, he said he's 290. The last I asked him, he's out there every day. He's moving good. Uh, he's got some. He's got decent quickness. Kind of an interesting. Uh, he's six two. But he, he kind of plays with a lower center center of gravity than that. And uh, he's definitely going to get a chance, and I think he knows it. We actually we don't know about Cody Temple. We have not seen Cody, and we haven't seen Christian Thomas. Uh, they have decided 
with the guys that uh, they, you know, had a little more, uh, you know, serious surgery that they just weren't going to push them and have them be out there for the voluntary stuff. Uh, you hear from people, well, both of those guys, you actually hear that Cody Temple has got a lot of the, um, a lot of the things you would look for in a defensive lineman. He, you know, you got a quick, strong kind of first step, uh, uh, pretty good in the weight room, uh, Kind of got the temperament of a, of a defensive uh, a defensive lineman, but we just haven't gotten to see him uh, since he got hurt. In, you know, uh, in spring, uh, we really haven't gotten a chance to see him. But the the, the good thing about kids like that is they're going to get a chance uh, if they're healthy. So we'll see. Uh, starting today, uh, they're not probably going to give us quite as much information on the injured guys as they have have in the past. Uh, so again, we're not that certain where, um, Christian Thomas stands. Uh, he, his hip surgery tended, I think, to be a little more serious than they realized. And they just decided to shut him down in the spring. I mean, one of the questions we've got with him is where is he going to play? You know, when he's healthy, uh, where do they, you know, do they, um, you know, really now think, uh, it's time for him to take another look at defensive end with Devon Kennard's injury. Uh, again, we don't know that he, uh, the last I saw, he was up to 250, evidently. Uh, so I, I'd be really interested to see what, with his quickness and kind of explosiveness on the edge and the way he played on special teams, I'd be really interested to see what a 250 pound, uh, Christian Thomas looks like, uh, on defense. But, uh, uh, Miguel, two really good, interesting questions that, uh, we're, we're, we're all going to be watching those two guys, uh, tonight, but I think uh, Christian Hayward going to get a good chance to, to be in the mix and be in the rotation, and then I think they're really going to emphasize playing a lot of guys. If you're ready, if you're ready to really go out there and play hard, and uh, uh, you're going to get a chance on that defensive line. Uh, all right, let's move on to Melvin. Um, he's very concerned about Stanford, the third game of the season, so he says with fall camp opening up, when will USC start preparing for Stanford during fall camp? It's game three on the road, first conference game, and a big rivalry game. A big rivalry game. Well, on the field, they won't until that week. I think they've already, they've certainly already started preparing for Stanford. Uh, I think you know, Melvin, you know, you know what the deal is, and I think they know what the deal is. And there has been that tradition of of seven your toe in that first road conference game. Look at last year at Arizona State. Uh, and they did not get that one right. That was probably the worst preparation for a game. I think the worst concept of what to do was the Notre Dame game two years ago. The worst preparation for a, a game under the Lane Kiffin in the Lane Kiffin era was Arizona State last year. So uh, I have a feeling the combination of the players knowing the two years they were under sanction, those Stanford games just happened to go go the other way at every single crucial moment in the game that involved uh, people not on, you know not in the game but uh, the officials and the timekeepers and all that uh, and they really feel like uh, you know they've had two games with Stanford that probably on the scoreboard didn't end up the way they maybe really should have in a fair world so I don't you know I don't think there's any chance of the players not being ready uh, it will be a challenge, I think, because of the fact the way Stanford lines up and they're going to come right at you and try to really just, uh, you know, bum rush that, um, you know, a fairly young and, and not real big 
uh, defensive line. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. But I think uh, they know it just the way you know it, and we all know it. That, that, that's, a, that's really – you can't say it enough what a big deal that third game of the year is. That's a, that's a really big deal. It's a doozy for sure, and I will be all over that throughout fall camp. But like Dan said, I mean, they're going to be focusing on getting the team ready first. Is it in the back of their minds? Most likely, but uh, there's not going to be specific Stanford game plans going in uh, the first couple of weeks of fall camp. But, I, but I'm sure there, there's an assistant coach who's responsible for that game who's done an awful lot of work on uh, – on, on, on the Stanford game plan. I think that's it. And, and as much as people would say, oh, you know, that's early and that's on the road, Stanford's also breaking in a new quarterback. And, uh, and their best, you know, as much as they say they've got the best set of linebackers in the country or the best, you know, front seven or whatever, they've also got a guy uh, who's uh, suspended for the, you know, the Shane Scove suspended for the first game. So he's only back the second game. Uh, so he gets one game uh, to get ready for USC. So, you know, each, everybody's got, you know, issue when you play somebody that, uh, you know, that important that soon and on the road, uh, yeah, it's, that's a big deal, and, and, and they know it. Um, real quick thing, one from J.D. in D.C. He had a question on red shirts counting towards a scholarship limit. Yes, they count. He mentioned Devon Kennard, like if he redshirted, yes, he's, he would still count towards that 75 limit. So every time people ask for a way to get around the scholarship limits, the answer is most likely no, or just about always no. Uh, but we didn't, we haven't mentioned Devon Kennard, Dan. What do you, what do you think about, uh, you know, what yeah, his, his loss know, would be? I know people have, have written him off. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously I think it's really been a tough deal when you've got your heart set on, uh, you know, get, going out this year. And, and, you know, certainly he's done everything academically and a wonderful kid and graduate and all of that. I think that Dewan, and, until we know completely and absolutely differently, I think he, is do, he will do everything in his power to try to get back for the last couple of games. And if he could play the last couple of games and then he's got a month to get ready for a bowl game, I think that can set him up still for the NFL draft. I mean, they just want to know that he's back and that he's healthy. And, uh, and I think he could do that. So I don't think it's one of those, whereas like Trey Mann, some, you know, people, a lot, uh, there are a lot of other players in the country who probably got injured even later than Trey Mann with the same ACL surgery who are aiming to come back midway through this season uh and you know you could say well why not why don't they push Trey man that's just not you know they're going to definitely set you know sit him out the whole year he'll have all spring to adjust you know to his new position and all that but when you've got a senior like uh Devon I don't I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he's going to try to get back for those last three or four games and then uh, uh, have another month and have a bowl game uh, and possibly set himself up uh, so that it's not an absolute that, you know, he's coming back next year and he'll redshirt this year. Uh, either way, you know, we can't do anything but wish him the absolute best. What a, what a fabulous kid and a great leader and what an unbelievably bad break, uh, you know, for him and, I think most people are thinking more of the personal side of this 
than what it means to the team. I mean, I, I just think you have to be thinking the, about, you know, Devon and what he's done, you know, and been willing to do and changing positions and switching positions. And he's gone through, uh, three surgeries already. So, uh, uh, we just wish him the absolute best and hope he's there tonight and we get a chance to talk to him. Yeah, we'll definitely try to keep you up to date with what's going on with Devon Kennard and the, the battle behind him. Uh, some of the different players that are, that are vying for that spot. What do you, what do you think about some of the, defensive ends, the young defensive ends, and guys like Kevin Green are on the defensive line right now trying to come in and fill that role. You know, is this, you don't know when it's going to click in for Kevin. You know, had a, only a couple of years of high school football. Nobody's worked any harder. Nobody's, uh, you know, looks the part, uh, you know, certainly looks like, uh, you know, could be you know, when he, he walks, you know, one of those guys who walks to an airport and you think, what NFL team does he start for? Uh, you know, strong, quick, smart, you know, he's going to, you know, graduate, uh, on time. Uh, what, what Devon had to do really. And the same with Kevin is I think they, they need to be able to disengage, uh, from the, uh, blockers and make plays is that, you know, you can have all the, you know, hard work and physical skills and what have you. But there's something extra that defensive got, you know, defensive linemen especially uh, have at that level that you need them to be at is the ability to disengage and make the play instead of just coming close or staying close or staying near or whatever. And it's almost – I don't even know if it's totally – I mean, I know they work on hand placement and they work on all these other things, but a lot of that is just sort of a God-given sense of, how do I, how do I disengage for this blocker and make that last step and make that play? And uh, that's what we want to see from Kevin, I think, is the ability to, to, to get disengaged from the blockers and to, to get his hips loose enough and free enough so that uh, you can turn to you know, where the play is and, and, and use all that speed and strength that you have. You know, the speed and strength, alone isn't quite enough there there has to be some this sort of gps sense that no i have to be here and this is where the play is and you just you know have to instantaneously be able to do that so that's that's what we're going to be looking at i think with a lot of these kids is who has that ability to get to where he has to be to make the play that's a good point it's not always about measurables there's some some instincts in there too that you can't really time or or measure in any way and uh we'll have to see if kevin green's gonna have to be able to do that this year certainly they could use another guy morgan breslin has got fabulous measurables i mean here's a you know he's a guy that looks uh he's 6'2 and 250 255 and he runs like a quarter miler i mean he's got a motor that's amazing i mean and um you know he was almost unblockable in junior college which is why he you know led the world and you know, sacks and tackles for losses and all that last year. But uh, uh, now he's got a situation where the offensive linemen are pretty good and uh, they can get to you. And, uh, you know, the, the foot pullback, for example, on pass rush and that. They, so now how does he adjust with all that speed and all that, you know, that motor that he's got? How does a Leonard Williams, who just measurables, you look at him and say, well, he looked awfully good in, on his high school film. He looks awfully good now, size and, and, and arms and hands and, 
and all of that. Um, but how does it, you know, translate in terms of being able to, uh, you know, put those physical skills into, you know, into action and 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 actually make plays? Uh, that whole defensive line, uh, you know, that's that's what you're going to be looking at for every single one of those kids uh, that you think have a chance, but you don't know for sure until you, you actually see them do it, and they don't know yet. Uh, so uh, there'll be that'll. That'll that'll take an awful lot of our attention this year is uh, watching that defensive line develop. All right, and then Dan, one last thing before we let you go: any other storyline, something that we ha- we've missed that you think is going to be a really interesting thing to look at for this fall camp? Well, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what decision do they make on backup quarterbacks. Do they go with both of them, knowing that they've been in the system so long that they've both had enough? snaps and that they both get enough snaps during the week or or do they you know decide no one of them you know my thought is as as, as much as you normally want pick one I think in this case they may go with two and uh, you know divide those uh, those backup snaps and uh, and and see where that you know where that takes them but that's uh, that's kind of a guess but but I think that's really going to be an interesting uh, you know, situation in terms of, you know, how do they do that? And and on defense, do they really say, okay, we've been building, we've been building, we've been building, now we are really going to play aggressive, attacking, shutdown, athletic, uh, you know, come and get your defense. We're really going to not let you make plays. We are going to make the plays on defense. Uh, we're going to use all our athletes. We're going to use our numbers. We're going to use our speed and quickness and the fact that we've got virtually everybody uh, uh, that we're going to put out there to start uh, uh, in the back seven anyway, they've all played. They've all started. We've got more, you know, starters. We've got, you know, uh, starters everywhere you look and a starter behind a starter. And, uh, and we're going to attack you and we're not going to concede anything. We'll see. I, I mean, that's certainly to me. Is a, is a big key is being able to get off the field, giving teams three and out, not giving up uh, the big third down plays and all the things that that we have seen uh, over you know the last couple of years where where they uh, uh, you know just weren't able to get off the field. They've got to be able to get off the field, and um, you know with with the offense they've got, it'll be a crime if the offense is sitting on the sideline while the the other team is you know, running long, long, long uh, drives, which is what, if I were playing USC, the thing I'd want to do is my offense to keep the ball and uh, keep the USC offense off the field. So I think, you know, they almost owe it to the offense to get, you know, get those three and outs and force teams to give the ball up. And, and, and you got to take some chances. you got to take some chances. Give them bad plays. Make them give the ball up. Uh, give the USC offense a bunch of chances to make a bunch of plays. All right, Dan. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we will. And it all starts tonight. So uh, we'll talk to you again next week, Dan. We'll get, definitely check out uscfootball.com all week. We'll be doing instant analysis. You can see Dan on camera talking about what happened at each and every practice. We'll have plenty of updates. And check out our Fall Camp Central page where all the links to everything going up for USC Fall Camp will be Thanks again, Dan, and uh, we'll talk to you. Well, I'll talk to you tonight, but we'll see you on the podcast next week. Okay. All right. Thanks, Dan, thanks, and thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week for another exciting show. Stay tuned to uscfootball.com for more.
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.